Would a meat tax help animals? Does banning overseas elephant ride adverts mean that the UK is being progressive? Or just a sign that it's actually xenophobic? And was that Aussie kid's joke about vegans jumping off a cliff funny? Or a sign of something more sinister? Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. I'm Anthony, he's Richard, and it's time for episode 2 of Vegan Week. Thank you for tuning in to episode two of Vegan Week, a breakdown of the week in the vegan movement featuring headlines, commentary and discussion. And as you heard in the opening, I am not alone. I'm once again joined by my good friend and late night student of an economics degree. It's Richard. (laughs) Thanks, Anthony. We're back. The experience of producing our first episode hasn't scared us off. We're back for more. Yeah, we are back for more. We are suckers for punishment. And welcome back to any listeners who are also joining us for the second time, as well, of course, as anyone who is listening for the first time. If you are listening for the first time, you might have been drawn to us by this episode's title and you're hankering to hear a discussion about meat taxes and, and whether or not they could help animals. Well, don't fret, that is coming up, but that's going to be in the second half of the show, along with some listener emails and correspondence. Yes, but this is the Vegan Week podcast, and as the name of the show suggests, we are first and foremost a news-based show. So we're going to start things off with a rundown of our top 10 vegan news stories of the week. Sounds good to me, Rich. Right, that's enough of the falafel. Let's crack on. It's time for this week's news. Okay, Rich, you know the drill. I've sent 10 news headlines to you. They all relate to veganism, animal rights or outcomes for animals. But the question is, which one do you want to start the news section with this week? Let's open with a positive-sounding story. From Euronews, new UK law clamps down on cruel animal tourism abroad. Yeah, this is the news that the UK government has passed a new law just a couple of days ago, which aims to protect animals used in tourism. Uh, So this legislation applies in England and Northern Ireland. It'll allow the government to bring forward a ban on selling or advertising specific types of wildlife tourism in the UK. Um, it's likely to include activities abroad where animals are, are forced to like take selfies with tourists or um, they're subject to brutal training methods or they're ridden or they're drugged or kept in captivity, anything that is deemed sort of really unacceptable. Just to be clear, it's not a ban on engaging in these things. So if you went to Thailand on holiday um, and you rode an elephant, that is not breaking the UK law. What it, what it will be is saying you can't, as a British company, you can't put adverts out or you can't sell tickets in the UK for an event like that, even if it's taking place abroad. Um, it's called the Animals Low Welfare Activities Abroad Act. Nice punchy title. Uh, and ministers say that it's an important step in our commitment to ensure high animal welfare standards both here in this country and abroad, um, and it's co- encouraging holidaymakers to do their research so they make informed choices that don't encourage poor animal welfare practices, which seems like a, a fabulous step in the right direction here. Yes, it seems a um, step in the right direction. I mean, it's always good to see that 
we're raising the bar when it comes to not promoting certain activities that engage in low welfare. Um, I have a, a few questions about it. I have a few questions about what does this mean? I mean, do you think we can still get tickets for SeaWorld if we want it from the UK and see orcas? Would that be considered low welfare? Well, this is it, isn't it? It's it's where you draw the line because I, I was thinking along similar lines. Well, I, I bet I could get a, I could book a a, a restaurant a place in in Paris where they're serving foie gras. Now, what, what you, you could judge that that's horrific um, animal welfare, and, and so would that be breaking the law? It's it's just where you draw the line, isn't it? Yes. What I hope this does not do is to think that cruelty is only abroad. I'm hoping yeah. that we we really have a look at what's happening outside, not to engage in any activity outside the UK that, you know, is cruel to animals, but also have a look into what we can do in the UK to disengage from these activities. So I hope people don't think that cruelty is only abroad. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a big risk of these things, isn't it? That it, it gives that impression and, and we have this impression that, oh, things are so much better over here. No, 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 no. We're still we're still using, abusing and killing animals over here. Don't don't get that wrong. Um I mean, according to a twenty fifteen study from Oxford University's Wildlife Conservation Research Unit, up to half a million animals worldwide suffer for the sake of tourism. I mean, again, like we were saying, it depends where you draw the line, doesn't it? Because they will base that on one criteria or another, but but animals that are being killed for food that is involved in tourism, that's going to be in the billions, possibly trillions. Um, anyway, the act is due to be implemented in December and slightly confusing this article because initially it said, oh, it will apply to England and Northern Ireland. And then further down in the article, it said it will initially apply to England, Wales and Northern Ireland. Either way, Scotland doesn't seem interested in it at the moment. Uh, the government needs to identify which activities the sale and promotion of will be an offence. So that's that's a key thing. So we need to look out for that later on in the year. But there we are. I guess we we need to just keep an eye on this. And, and like you say, Rich, we need to make sure that we're not slipping into this habit of, of kind of thinly veiled racism and, and xenophobia, really, thinking that that bad things happen abroad, but over here we're okay. Absolutely. And also to think, um, I'm interested in seeing what they think is cruelty or abuse. Because, I mean, we can draw the line anywhere and probably hunting will be something that they feel it's acceptable. Um, while other things, I don't know, as you mentioned, can you really book a restaurant that maybe cook lobsters alive you know so yeah. yeah no well at least it gets the conversation going seems to be a step in the right direction nice positive story to kick things off with rich let's move on what should we make our second story of the week so we have to cover this it's been all over instagram this week very sad indeed from the animal raider 10 rescued pigs killed at sanctuary in italy yeah, so this is the really, really sad news. Heartbreaking, really. Authorities in Italy have ordered the killing of 10 pigs at the Cuori Liberi Sanctuary in the province of Pavia. Um, the animals who were all rescued from farms um, were killed on Wednesday uh, this week. Hundreds of activists from all over Italy had arrived at the sanctuary to try and protect these pigs, uh, to try and stop the police, but the, the police sort of moved them aside and, and regrettably the, the killing of these pigs took place. Now, 
you might be thinking, why, why on earth has this happened? I've not given you the full context here. Um, well, the Italian government's rationale um, is that this is uh, to control the sp- the spread of African swine fever that's having a, a real big effect in Italy at the moment. They put out a decree um, which was to order the killing of all pigs, whether they were sick or healthy, in areas where African swine flu had been identified. Um, and so far, that that means that around 34,000 pigs at the time of recording have so far been killed. It's an absolutely sickening story. You can see the fear that is leading the Italian government to act in this uh, clinical way. They're just showing no mercy. It's awful. Yeah, absolutely. Just uh, it's a very black and white approach that they're taking to this. I mean, for context, some pigs at the sanctuary did have the disease, um, but some of them were healthy. Animal welfare groups did their best to plead with authorities to spare the lives of these 10 pigs. Um, They were saying, well, these pigs are isolated. They've got no contact with other animals. They're not destined for the food chain. Um, And they highlighted as well the potential for some pigs to recover from the virus because because pigs can recover from African swine flu. I mean, I this raises a question I, I wondered what your thoughts were rich this this is obviously awful um the disease is awful the, the the government's response to it the the cruel fate in particular for these animals who've been rescued but have still not been spared um you, you mentioned at the start there's been huge coverage of this on on social media in a lot of circles and and national and indeed international press do you think that the brutal and cold dispassionate aggressive in some cases actions of the police in this story do you think that could actually be a silver lining um for in terms of outcomes for animals here well for me i think the only positive thing that we might take of all this is create more awareness from from the people of what really happens i mean maybe this will help sanctuaries raise more money maybe people will start donating a little bit more uh, because they're more engaged. I mean, we all saw the brutality of the police, and this has been recorded on camera. Many people have seen it. Maybe this helps shift a little bit people's mind about um, veganism, about sanctuaries and animals. So even though this is devastating, maybe that's a positive. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's. T- I mean, it, it's it's really hard to talk about. Uh, you know, the positives of of rescued pigs being being killed, but um, we we've got to hope, haven't we? I mean, a real real tough story to contemplate, and obviously our hearts really go out to the animals who've been victims of this cult. But also, I was thinking as well, like the activists themselves, they've tried to do so much. Like people have rescued these pigs in the first place. They look after them, a really difficult job to do, um, keeping funds going and, and giving them that amount of care in the sanctuary, uh, only to see them killed. Uh, must feel absolutely awful for them. Yes. And let me say that I think one of the saddest things is knowing that even if you rescue them, they're not safe, that animal sanctuaries now know and they've known in the past to a certain degree that even once those animals are rescued and you hope to have them for the rest of their lives in freedom they're still not 100% safe yeah absolutely world's not vegan yet gosh Richard I think if you're happy to we'll move on shall we yes please let's move on (laughs) let's have a quick positive story shall we from The Economist Canadian University surpasses 40% plant-based menu goal 
Yeah, so this comes from the Western University in Ontario, Canada, uh, which has exceeded its initial commitment uh, to introduce plant-based meal options in its dining halls. They originally pledged uh, in May this year to make 40% of their dining hall menus plant-based by the end of this year. Um, But they've already surpassed the goal ahead of schedule, so three months early. As of the time of recording, 43% of the meals offered in Western University's dining halls were plant-based. Um, and my favourite bit, they like I cheered when I read this, they actually mentioned animal welfare as one of the reasons why it was good. Like normally it's always just like, oh, it's good for the environment or, oh, well, people's health will be better. But they actually said it'll be good for animals too. So I'll read you the quote. The lower we eat on the food chain, whatever whatever that's supposed to mean, uh, the better it is for our environment as well as for our health and animal welfare. Like we need a jingle for that, Richard, some sort of trumpet (laughs) fanfare. Yeah. Uh, Don't get too excited though. There is a bit of a downer from from my point of view anyway, Um, because they then go on to say that their next goal is to increase plant-based foods by 50%. By 2025. Now that that sounds really unambitious to me. Like 50% in like just over a year's time. If you're already at 43%, that's hardly much of a jump. Well, it depends. Do you mean they want to increase it by a further 50%, or they are saying that they want the menu to be 50% plant-based? Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not sure. But what's the quote? Um, to increase plant-based food by 50%, maybe. Maybe they mean they want to increase it by another 50%, I guess. I thought they were just saying they, they only wanted to get another 7% in the next in the next like 15 months. It seemed really unambitious. You know, I'll, I'll see positives in this one because we need to see positives, <laughs> you know. We need to see encouraging uh, news and this is one. So I think predictions never work or never work very well, really. So probably they've passed the tipping point where more and more students will become plant-based at least at university and they'll contribute more so i see lots of positives here i'll I'll go for that you know yeah absolutely no it's it's great great story isn't it and just another example of how our universities seem to be leading the way on on the sort of plant-based dining becoming the becoming the norm great story uh to hear from rich should should we move on what's what's story number four going to be shall we stay north american shall we stay positive let's From The Economist, New York City Mayor Eric Adams backs plant-based initiative as United Nations urged to address escalating greenhouse gas emissions. Yeah, so this is the New York City Mayor Eric Adams who's endorsed an initiative calling for a fair and accessible plant-based food system. Um, Adams, you might, might have heard of before, he's a bit of a plant-based superhero not super strict vegan he has been seen eating fish and he sort of admits that he doesn't stick to a plant-based diet the whole time but he's backed loads of plant-based programs in hospitals and just generally encouraging people to eat more plants he has now publicly supported uh, campaigners ellen dent and mariana guagnini sorry said your name wrong there i'm sure um they are heading to the un headquarters in new york city for plant-based treaty day to distribute plant-based food to the community Um, and they're also going to demand action to address escalating greenhouse gas emissions from the food sector whilst world leaders at this at this um, plant-based treaty day um, they're reviewing 17 sustainable development goals so hopefully uh, they're getting a, a 
big nudge in the right direction and, and the New York mayor has backed this. Um, in a recent citation, this I love this quote, uh, Eric Adams says, when we change our dinners, we change our destinies and in doing so, we save lives. We can craft a future fueled by clean, healthy and tasty energy that allows us to reach new heights and achieve the impossible. It's like... <laughs> it's brilliant it sounds like he's captain america or i, I don't know something out <laughs> of a marvel like is, is it me or is he just is he just an awesome person um he looks like it i mean i don't see the downside of this i'm really happy it shows an example right to other people what for what it's possible i think i think it's brilliant i think yeah i have nothing to add to it it's just amazing i mean the, the, the one thing i perhaps would kind of err on the side of caution is with what's great is we're hearing a lot of positive talk from politicians at the moment generally although this week as we'll hear in the discussion like uh, the the UK prime minister has done a bit of a green u-turn but generally speaking we're hearing lots of positive stuff but it has got to translate into action you know sooner or later hasn't it yes and people the thing is if they lead by example probably people will follow it's like the universities um we start adopting this, people will follow little by little, they see the choices as normal. So yeah, this is a very positive story. Yeah, it is. I really want to ask you a question, uh, Rich, but it could turn into a 30 minute debate. So, so Eric Adams has obviously done a huge amount in terms of encouraging people to eat plant based, but he's not a strict vegan. Like, is that a problem? No, it's not. Because that shows... Even though we would like for him to be an ethical vegan, that probably encourages people that don't identify as ethical vegans that they can make a change. So even though it, he's not here to please me, right? Mm. Yeah, he's yeah, here yeah. to change people. And if more people change thinking, okay, I don't need to be perfect, even though that would be my desire, good, you know, that's making a change. Yeah, if, if an imperfect plant-based eater can encourage millions and millions and millions of plant-based choices um whereas me as a i'm not a perfect vegan but let's say i am how many vegan meals can i can i inspire how many vegan choices can i inspire like i think he's winning isn't he so i think i think give him his credit um if you're happy to move on let's let's do it rich what's the next story gonna be well, we've had two positive stories back to back, so I think um, you know what's coming. Oh no! Um, <laughs> from Farming UK, Sainsbury's launches UK largest ever low carbon beef range. Yeah, right. Okay, everyone, get ready for possibly the the worst or, or best, depending on how you look at it, greenwashing ever. Like that's you're you're going to have to chew your lip, or you might be shouting at your radio set here. Um, so this is the news that Sainsbury's have launched what it says is the UK's largest ever low carbon beef range. Following a decade of development and five years of production, they've put a lot into this. Um, So according to the retailer, the Aberdeen Angus beef range offers a 25% lower carbon footprint compared to the industry standard. Now, like I say, if you're anything like me, you're you're screaming at this point and and getting really cross. But um, bear with me. We're going to go through what they're saying, what their rationale rationale is, um, and then we'll try and look at it in a more balanced way. Because obviously they're just 
spouting out positive PR. So the Farming UK article didn't actually give a huge amount of info. There's there's loads of general terms they use. Uh, they say things like carbon reduction has been made possible through a combination of better cattle breeding and animal management. And uh, what's the other one? Beef farms are equipped with technology generating in-depth data to help producers make better farm management decisions. So it doesn't actually tell you anything, really. Um, so I went onto Sainsbury's website, um, and there's a lot more detail on there. Um, so basically, what they're doing is that the beef that they are producing um, is coming from their dairy herd, whereas often you have cows that produce dairy, and then you have separate uh, sort of beef producing cows in effect which increases the overall carbon footprint so the cows that they're exploiting uh, for dairy they are then killing for beef which improves the carbon footprint hooray um uh, also there was something else oh there it is yeah so they're all they've also been using selective breeding over a course of years which means that they are now left with cows who can reach their desired weight for slaughter having eaten less food so they require less input basically to reach slaughter weight so again that brings their sort of carbon footprint numbers down um before i go any further rich like what are your initial thoughts on this this might surprise you but i see a positive here and it's okay. the fact that they are acknowledging that actually animal or beef beef production in in this case does have a big footprint and does create lots of emissions and does contribute a lot. So the first thing to change a system is to recognize it. By saying that they've been managed to do a 25% reduction, they're acknowledging the big, big carbon footprint that it has. And I think that's the first step. Because if if the dairy or the meat industry, or in this case, you know, Sainsbury's uh, low carbon beef range, that that admit the fact that yes we know now that the evidence says that this is not sustainable and has a big impact so i would go for that you know they're acknowledging it yeah okay so what i'm also acknowledging is when i go out on my killing killing sprees with my machine gun it's quite noisy and i i feel a bit bad about the, the locals who have to hear the loud noise of my machine gun so what i've done is i've created a machine gun that's a bit quieter so when I'm killing people in my killing spree, like there's less noise pollution. So I've I've acknowledged that. Yes, but we're talking about two different things here. The damage <laughs> the beef industry does will do it in an ethical way to the animals, one way or another. Okay. Yeah. So the ethical reason is still there. However, many people that deny the fact that animal agriculture can cause, you know, a carbon footprint, the first thing to change is to acknowledge the footprint it has. Now, I hope people don't change by saying, oh, I'm guilt-free now because I, I eat low-carbon emission beef. But you had the same with cigarettes, right? Would you buy cigarettes that say these produce 25% less cancer? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I hear the argument, and obviously we know why they've, they've introduced this. It's because people are concerned about it. But like it, when you crunch the numbers, it makes it makes no difference. It makes no difference. Absolutely not. I agree so, with that. So, so I've gone onto a website called co2everything.com. So the average um, industry uh, standard for beef in terms of the CO2 it produces for a hundred grams of beef, uh, it produces on average fifteen and a half kilograms of CO2. So if we take twenty five percent off, 
then this, this low carbon beef should be producing just under 12 kilograms of CO2 for 100 grams of beef. So I, I compare that to tofu. I know tofu and beef are not the same thing, but if we if we take just say 100 grams of tofu, can you can you guess, Rich? Like what's what's the CO2 output? For 100 grams of tofu if if oh beef if if low carbon beef is 12 kilograms what do you think tofu is i don't know i might say something ridiculous now um i'll say four kilos no it's it's 0.08 kilograms of co2 for 100 grams say that and, loud again okay i know they're not the same nutritionally but 150 times lower or rather, so so even this low carbon beef, it's a hundred and fifty times worse than tofu. I know tofu is not the same, but if oh, you look healthier. at yeah, 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 nothing dies um, apart apart from the soya bean. Um, but like, if you put any plant based equivalent or however many calories, however many micronutrients or whatever, it like even this low carbon beef, it's so much worse for the for the environment. Like it, you're, you're absolutely kidding yourself if you think this is making any significant difference. I think it's a load of old rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing is I'll I'll ask um, you know companies so I can have twenty percent reduced footprint for my uh, the fuel I use. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean the thing the thing is where there's a where there's no viable alternative, then yeah. reduction great bring it down but like there's there's a viable alternative that is like seitan for example it 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 has a similar uh, similar carbon footprint to to the tofu so like you can create something that's got a a, you know similar nutritional value to steak similar taste similar texture blah 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 can i stop you here i would be very careful talking about the nutritional value of steak because we it looks like it has a very positive and good nutritional value when, in fact, what you're eating is classified as carcinogenic or potentially carcinogenic by yeah, the World okay. Health Organization. And also it has all the hormones and antibiotics that are leading to antibiotic resistance. So to compare nutritional values, I think it's a dangerous route to go. <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. So the plant-based versions of steak will have all the positive uh, bits of nutrition. But yeah, they didn't add the carcinogens in and they didn't, yeah. But um, yeah, it, it, it just seems a bit dark. The, the one thing it did make me think, and then and then perhaps we'll we'll move on if you're happy to, Rich. Um, yeah. I remember before becoming vegan, I, I was vegetarian. And for a while, I was convinced that I needed to make sure all my dairy uh, was organic and all the eggs I consumed was organic. It just felt like that was better. Um, and that there wasn't really a rationale for that. And I, I just wonder whether having these labels, like it's not really making a difference, but it's maybe changing the identity that you have as a consumer that's maybe then like a stepping stone to the next step up. But I don't know. I I think I'm clutching at straws there. Like there are other viable alternatives that, that make much better difference. But we shall see. Maybe it will become we a... On? We can't, yeah. I mean... We'll look in our crystal ball at the end of the episode. Maybe maybe this is going to sweep the nation and everyone's going to be eating low-carbon beef soon. Who knows? Um, with the cost of living, probably people will go to the cheapest option anyway. So We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I think this we could go on forever. Let's, shall we move on? Well, let's stick with um, farming, okay, and product labelling. Again, 
from Farming UK, mandatory labelling on meat and dairy products needed, RSPCA says. Yeah, okay. So my blood pressure's already risen with that last story. I don't think it's going to do much better on this one. So we've we've seen a lot of news over the last few years with animal ag lobbies saying that vegan products need to change their labelling to avoid customer confusion or, or ambiguity. So you can't call things vegan bacon. You can't call things uh, vegan milk or whatever. Well, the RSPCA have now hit back and they're saying that mandatory labelling needs to come in for meat and dairy products um, because consumers are being denied the chance to make informed choices. So they want to see labels put on products to provide transparency for public on the way that animals have been reared, which is an interesting argument. Like initially, Rich, what do you think? Is the National Farmers Union and, and British Meat Processors Association, do you think they're going to agree with this? What, what um, do you think? I cannot see them agreeing. And also, <laughs> no. this is a very subjective thing. What, what does it mean? I mean, who, who would evaluate that? So, no. Yeah, there's going to be things like that that are, are quite contentious. And I think what doesn't help is that the RSPCA itself doesn't seem to be sure on what stance it's taking here, which historically... Is, is quite common that on, on one hand, historically, they'll be, you know, slamming people for, for animal cruelty. But then on another hand, they'll be saying, yep, 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 all this is all this is fine. Continue killing animals in this way. No problem at all. Um, and we see that here. One bit that really got me that, that they're saying that this this would help to safeguard and differentiate British farmers against low welfare imports, which is just a bit, bit thinly veiled racism there. Um, and they they then contradict this further along where they say the public can be shown images of rolling green hills and animals in the sunshine which can be incredibly misleading and not reflective of reality in many cases sounding good but then they go on and say this is especially true of intensing farming practices which still account for around 70 percent of all land farming in the uk so do they think we're looking after animals in this country or or not it's, it's baffling they keep going back and forth which I think is going to be the issue with this, with this proposal anyway, isn't it? I mean, what what are your thoughts, Rich? You mentioned like how how do you decide sort of whether something's been reared properly or not? What are your thoughts in general here? I think we're getting dragged into the wrong debate. I mean, we are saying here that we can do the wrong thing in a nice way. Um, I think personally, I'm not a welfareist person. I'm more of an abolitionist. Um, for me, you know. Whenever we say, oh, don't worry, you can eat this animal, it was um, raised well, looked after. We, What we are doing is we're making people think that that's a right thing to do. There's still yeah, an I'm... animal that will go to a slaughterhouse, will suffer, and it's just a product. So I will stay away from this. I would not put labels unless it says, because I don't think it will help, you know? Not not immediately, no, but I, I wonder about things like we do see this with eggs, don't we? So you can buy eggs from barn, barn eggs, uh, caged caged hen eggs, free range. Now, those labels don't mean anything like we've seen what free range eggs uh, um, farms can look like and and how they're really not much better at all. But does it not start the conversation at least? I, I see it as a move in the wrong direction. I mean, if it said an animal has been killed for this, if people can do the connection between the suffering of an animal and that it becomes a property and that it's dead, 
uh, I see it personally better than say, don't worry, you can be reassured that you're choosing an ethical option because killing an animal will never be an ethical option. So all the welfare reforms, yeah, the animal might live a better life. Yes, I'll acknowledge that. Does it end factory farming or does it end just ki the killing of animals for meat? No, it might even perpetuate it a bit more. And in my opinion, it would be better to do like, okay, say you want beef. Can we have a label there saying this can potentially cause cancer? Because maybe that will have a bigger impact. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There's lots of different ways this could go, isn't there? I mean, a new survey by the RSPCA found that 81% of people think that having a level of knowledge about the condition of animals um, that they've been reared in and kept in is important when purchasing products. And a similar proportion of people, so 79% of consumers, believe that they can improve animal welfare through their purchasing habits. Um, so, you know, I think it's fair to say we've got some mixed feelings on this. Uh, personally, I, I predict we will say, see more of this sort of labelling in the future, whether we think it's a good idea or not. Um, regardless, I, my money is is on this becoming a, something we see more of. But uh, I guess time will tell. Are you happy to move on, Rich? What, what should we follow this story with? Um, yeah, let's go for something completely different. I never thought we'd have a story from Lad Bible. But here we go. Boy who shocked TV host with brutal joke about dead vegan and vegetarian says he meant no offence. Yeah, so before we go into this story, each each week when I'm looking for news, I do come across a lot of stuff that is just not news, but it is everywhere. It's all pervasive, it's it's viral, it's, it's spread far and wide. So I'm going to include one each week, if that's okay, Rich. Um, we can call it clickbait or viral content or fake news or, or whatever you want. Could, do you, can you put a jingle in for us, Rich, do you think, when you come to edit the show? See, there's a typical fake news deal. Okay, yeah, that's perfect. So uh, a 10-year-old Australian boy has told a joke on Australian breakfast TV. Uh, it shocked the presenters, make them break down with hysterical laughter, and, and basically this clip has gone viral. Pierce Morgan has invited on, him onto his show. Of course he has. He couldn't resist. Um, and that's basically the story. Have, have you heard the joke, Rich? Yes, I have. Okay, let's let's retell it for any of our listeners who haven't. Uh, so, a vegan and a vegetarian are jumping off a cliff to see who will hit the bottom first. Who wins? I don't know. Go ahead. Society. Now, I I think the joke's quite funny. Uh, it's it's got a clever structure. It's sort of you know take two people who uh, some people don't like and you you say they're jumping off a cliff and the winner is society. Um, obviously, some vegans and vegetarians commented on this post saying they thought that it sucked and it wasn't actually that funny. Fair enough. Um, I didn't see anyone go, I'm hideously offended. This is terrible. This boy needs to be shot. There, there wasn't any kind of hideous backlash like that. It was more just like a few people saying, so we care about animals. That's that's awful, is it? That makes us, uh, you know, the scourge of society. Rich, I think it's fair to say that in general, even though as vegans we're advocating for social justice, we do need to be able to laugh at ourselves, don't we? Yes, we all need to laugh. But I would think more a bit in terms of the context and how our society 
creates categories in our heads and how we see people that do not behave as ourselves, as the opponent. I mean, this poor kid at such a young age has, if you analyse it, he's he's in a way saying, oh, vegetarians and vegans, making fun of them uh, in a yeah jokey way and all this. But you can see that what he thinks or what his uh, environment thinks about vegans and vegetarians. So you can see all the construct that has been put into his education and the categories created. And that's what concerns me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he was on TV in the first place because he was, he's competing in the Youth Bull Riders World Finals in Texas. So he's clearly from, from a, an environment where animals are used routinely. And um, he's he's hearing language and 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 jokes like this all the time. He he admitted himself it's not his joke. He he just heard it somewhere, um, and I think that's what makes it a little bit sinister, isn't it? Like I, I I can laugh at the joke. I think it's it's quite funny, like taking the mick out of ourselves or or whatever, joking that some people don't like us very much. Um, that's fine, but there's something about the fact that it's a 10 year old boy who doesn't really see the wider picture of kind of labeling people and um and othering them like that it gives it a bit of a sinister edge doesn't it yeah you do you really think the tv would would have aired a joke if the same kid would have put instead of a vegan and a vegetarian would have put a farmer and i don't know uh an oil rig worker yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, it, th- I mean, the, the the structure of the joke is take two people that you don't like very much and say yeah. that society would be better off without them, and that that that's funny. Like that is funny. We we don't take it seriously. I yeah. think. Yeah, but the television would have probably has chosen this because they know a big percentage of people will probably laugh at this joke, but you wouldn't say that. The TV would have not said the same thing, would have not aired it, should farmers be involved. Because they I, know a big percentage of the the people that are listening would support more farmers. Like, they wouldn't say, what if a Republican and Democrat jump? They wouldn't have said that. There's too much pressure not yeah. to say certain things. So I, I do agree with you. This did happen on live TV. So I think that the TV company didn't really have any say on, on, on whether this or not was aired. That was, I think, part of why the reaction was what it was. Like the okay. the hosts the hosts were falling around with laughter because I think they were they were shocked and and um and what have you. But the the fact that, yeah, you you're right. It, it wouldn't have gone viral in the same way and, and people wouldn't react the same way. But um yeah, it's difficult because we can seem a bit like stick in the muds if we're going, oh children shouldn't be saying things like this. But yeah. It's it's an interesting one and it kind of raises issues of censorship and, and, and stuff like that. But um, anyway, I mean, perhaps uh, perhaps one for listeners to, to weigh in, uh, well, weigh in on any of any of the stories that we cover in Vegan Week. But this one in particular, I'd be interested to to know what people think about this. Are, are you are you happy to move on, Rich? We're down to the last three articles. Yes, let's plow through them. Shall we go back through? In- we're, we're making the podcast sound like this really <laughs> arduous. Oh God, come on, let's get through the next few. Um, let's go back into politics. From Green Queen, can Europe shift to a plant-based food system? Yeah, so this is a, a really interesting article. If you've if you've got ten minutes and you want to 
read through a, a, an interview with, with some key people in European politics and um, how it relates to veganism. G- give it some of your time. Um, so this is five European organisations who've come together to suggest some measures that can unlock Europe's transition towards a plant-based food system. Um, it's a new report titled Plant-Powered Politics. Um, so a lot of detail, um, more than I'm going to cover here, but here's the main gist of things. So this is a joint effort by Compassion in World Farming EU, the Green REV Institute from Poland, the Vegetarian Association of France, the Vegetarian Society of Denmark and the Portuguese Vegetarian Association. They're calling for a redirection of funding um, because in the EU, cattle farmers receive at least 50% of their income through direct government subsidies, uh, which I did not know. Um, They're suggesting that this funding could be directed towards plant-based protein production as well as more investment into alternative protein research given that, again, 97% of all research and innovation spending is going to animal farmers at the moment. They also suggested, relating to the um, title of this week's episode, they suggested a higher taxation on meat, and they also suggested lowering or eliminating tax on plant-based foods. Just to finish, um, there were encouraging signs earlier this week to this end, in that on Tuesday, the European Parliament's Agriculture Committee voted to implement a strategy to increase the production of plant proteins in Europe. Rich, these are bold suggestions, meat tax, uh, redirecting subsidies to plant-based foods. Um, aside from the UK, c- can you see this happening in Europe? Obviously, this this refers to the European Parliament. Can you see things like that being pushed through? Yes, I can see them being pushed through. I think it will take some time. The problem with the EU is all the different countries maybe have different approaches and cultures. But at the end of the day, I do think that probably they will at some point pass these things. Yeah, they, my observation, having, having looked at news in the last six months in Europe relating to veganism, is that there, there seems to be less backlash in certain countries, not not others, but certain countries will, will put forward plant-based proposals for their town or for their country as a whole, and there doesn't seem to be as much opposition. Um, I seem to remember in Italy there was a very strong opposition to this sort of thing, yeah. but places like the Netherlands, Germany, uh, parts of Scandinavia, there's there's less backlash. So we we might see things like this have more success in the short term in e- in the EU than we are here in Britain. Well, like I say, if you've got the time, uh, uh, any listeners to to have a read of that article, I I give it ten minutes of your time. Really interesting. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, so it sounded positive, Rich. Lots of politicians saying the right things about veganism. I'm feeling hopeful. You're, you're not going to dash my hopes, are you? Um, yes, I am. No, it's not positive. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to say that, Anthony. But, you know, from Essex Live, council leader rejects veganesque advice to encourage its constituents to eat less meat. Oh, Essex, letting us down. Honestly, all of Europe was getting so pro-vegan and then Essex has let us down. So this is the news that Andrew Baggett, the Conservative leader of Basildon Council, has slammed the suggestion that the local authority should consider encouraging its constituents to eat less meat, fish and dairy as part of their adoption of a refreshed climate strategy and action plan. So the Basildon Council's aim is to reach net zero carbon emissions across the borough by 2050. However, 
the leader of their council has said that it would be wrong for the council to promote a reduced consumption of animal products by the borough's residents um, as part of schemes like Veganuary. Now, I should point out that this response was to an original kind of proposal or suggestion by another Conservative councillor called Craig Rimmer, um, who told the council meeting that one of his own actions to improve climate impact was to participate in Veganuary. Um, and he did the challenge himself a couple of years ago, and, and he was raising this challenge for other councillors to take part in next year, saying one small change can make a difference. So, I mean, credit where it's due to at least one member of the Conservative Party. Now, before I go on, Rich, like, have you ever experienced this thing as a vegan where you don't need to do any talking to promote veganism because the person you're talking to who is not vegan is doing such a bad job of arguing against you that you just shut up and you just let them talk because they're just making such horrific arguments. Have you ever experienced that? I I have experienced it. I have yeah. in the past, and it's it. Yeah, they expose themselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. So get ready for a gold star example right here. So the lead councillor Baggett. So remember, he's the one who's saying, "No, no, no, this is a bad idea. I don't like veganism." He has said the following, justifying why his constituents should not be consuming fewer animal products. I think that if you were a Native American Indian going out hunting, only sourcing the food you want to eat in the right amounts for the people you're feeding, no one would have ever said Native Americans were leaders in causing climate change and the melting of the ice caps. Wait, sorry, is, is he representing the Basildon Council or the Native American Indian Council? Um, he needs to make <laughs> up his mind. Yeah, it's completely baffling. It's just, it's brilliant, brilliant arguing kind of in favour of veganism by accident, I think. He goes on, that's, that's not the end of it. He says, it's not the eating of animal products, it's how they're either farmed, produced or packaged that is the problem. So, so basically he's saying... It's not eating animal products that's the problem. It's just basically everything else about it, like the whole process. Nothing wrong with it. Just the start, the middle, and the end. Um, my my favourite bit, though, is he goes on and says, the one thing that winds me up, I'm afraid, is the vegans that go out there telling everyone else and preaching to them why they shouldn't eat meat. The irony, of course, being that the person who's actually proposing the promotion of veganuary here is not only a fellow Conservative councillor, but he's not even vegan himself. Like the person saying we should try veganuary, he's not vegan either. So it's not a vegan preaching, it's a non-vegan preaching. I mean, perhaps we shouldn't laugh, but I, I always feel like people getting cross like this, it, it just makes me think that we're making an impact, Rich, like we're making some progress. Like, do you ever get that feeling? Yeah, I do get that feeling. Can, can I say here, just that uh, it makes you wonder, the take for me on this is... Do people follow politicians or does politics follow what people do? Go on. Well, what I mean by that is uh, I don't think this will make a change on people. I think at the end of the day, the level of trust in politicians, unfortunately, it's not that high. And not mm. only in the UK, but across many, many countries. So at the end of the day, I think people will take make their own minds take their own decisions. Probably people follow more influencers nowadays than what politicians say, say. So, yes, I understand that from a political point of view, they have certain... Um, they can contribute in many ways, but unless things are made law, um, I don't think this contributes that much to what people think. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. 
But um, I mean, it, there's a stark contrast between uh, having Eric Adams as your local politician uh, pushing forward like plant-based meals in hospitals, and and this this conservative councillor who's just getting so cross about the idea that that someone in the council could be doing veganuary. It's um, it's a very interesting contrast. Um, right, Rich, time's getting on. Give us another headline. Well, linked to our previous story from The Economist, Plan-Based World Expo Europe reveals lineup for November, including the January film premiere. Yeah, so this Plant-Based World Expo um, is going to take place in London in mid-November, um, and they have this week revealed their lineup, which includes the UK film premiere of uh, a short film called... It'll never catch on the Veganuary story 10 years on. Um, so it's a 10, 10 year anniversary of the world famous Veganuary movement. Um, and there's a short film uh, celebrating it, which is coming out at this plant based world expo. Um, the viewing will be followed at the expo by a Q&A session with the charity's founders, Jane Land and Matthew Glover. I mean, obviously, fantastic that that's coming out. Can you imagine like going back 10 years in time and saying to those two activists, you're going to set up this campaign. It's, it's going to be so successful. And in 10 years time, there's going to be two non-vegan Tory councillors in Essex trying to persuade one another to, to roll it out to all the constituents in your borough. Like it's, it's amazing what they've done. Um, anyway, this news is that the whole programme has been announced and it's available to view online. Um, Rich, that's got to be a must see film, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it gives, you know, um, it gives a bit, a little bit of hope and a little bit of knowing that if you persist in things, you really need to try in life. Um, if you give up, you know, you'll never get uh, where you want to go. So never give up, keep going. And this is a brilliant example. Yeah, well, maybe we can do a film review when it comes out. Um, it'll be fascinating. I was lucky enough to meet Matthew Clover actually a couple of years ago seemed like a really lovely man um very deserving of the success that he's managed to attain for for vegan causes that he's got behind so um yeah looking forward to that film coming out okay Anthony unless my maths is letting me down that's 10 news stories for the week fantastic counting rich you've counted to 10 brilliantly there yep that's all of them I've not got any more Brilliant. Thanks, Anthony. Just a reminder to all of you listening out there, if you spot news or articles out there that you think would catch our interest, get in touch with us by email at enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com. As well as sending us new stories, we'd also love to hear your opinions on the articles we've covered this week, especially if you think there's a side to the stories that we have missed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always grateful to receive any news tips that you've got, um, as well as any extra info that you've got on the stories. We can only only cover so much and we only have so many sources, but if you've got an extra insight, let us know. Um, you might be interested to know as well, that as well as sending us news, um, as each episode approaches, We'll give you little sneak previews of what we're going to be covering on our social media accounts. So we're at Enough of the Falafel on Facebook, Instagram and TikTok. So, before we look at the latest discussion about meat, taxism, whether they would help animals, we wanted to take the time to share the comments and correspondence we've received since last week's episode. 
Yeah, a couple of stories that we featured in last week's episode seem to lead to further discussion. And and like you say, Rich, we've got some emails, we've got some comments about it. So let's start with the article from Nature Communications Journal um, that was outlining the impact on the environment if people just halve their consumption of the dominant animal products that we consume across the world. Um, We received the following email from Gina. Um, She said, my comment is about whether encouraging people to halve their meat consumption is a good idea. I've plucked these figures out of the air. They're not based on any science. If you can convince, say, 10% of people to give up meat completely, a certain number of animals would be saved. If you can convince 50% of people to halve their meat consumption, more animals would be saved. I think that animals would vote for the second option. Also, as more people start to eat alternatives to meat, I'd expect to see more and better vegan options available and vegan eating becoming more normalised. There were lots of other news items in the podcast, but that was the one that jumped out at me. So I guess we can summarise Gina's argument that if 50% of people halve their animal consumption, more animals are being saved, basically, than than 10% of people going vegan. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that, Rich? Well, I guess from a mathematical point of view, that is correct. Um, yeah, if if 100% of the population just eats 50% of the current animal consumption, yeah, that would reduce it in half. Um, I'm not so sure if that's the case uh, in terms of are people willing to give up 50%? I don't know. I have my reserves on that, but I think that's a great point from, from Gina. Uh, and I think you put up uh, Paul on this too, didn't you, Anthony? Yeah, yeah. So on the Facebook group Vegan UK, I asked the question as to whether people would feel comfortable advocating for this as vegans. Um, and interestingly, around three quarters of people said that they wouldn't, that that, um, that they would sort of feel like they were selling the animal short. Um, so it's it's interesting to see the, the quandary. I, I mean, what it made me think is like, are we more interested in saving animals or are we more interested in what makes us feel comfortable? Because actually, if it's making us feel uncomfortable to say, hey, just reduce your animal consumption, that's going to be the best thing to do. But that that makes us feel uncomfortable. Like, what do we do? Like, would you, it's like, would you rather be happy or right? Isn't it? That, that sort yeah, of... but also it's about, it's a little about, do it's about your moral values also, because what do you think is about saying just half instead of saying ditch? What you're acknowledging that it's okay to have half, so I understand why it's so difficult to advocate for something that you don't believe in. Um, so I see it as a very hard choice. And we, because we don't know the outcome either, so we don't know what will work better. Anyway, we had another lovely email from a listener called Andy who said, Hi, Anthony and Richard. Just wanted to get in touch to say, firstly, I listened to the whole of the first podcast. And secondly, I found it very entertaining, really intelligent and insightful look at vegan news. I'll definitely be listening on the week on a weekly basis. Andy also then posed us a question, which we're going to hold back for now, as we'd like to use it as a discussion topic in uh, a couple of weeks' time. But thank you so much for that lovely email, Andy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for all the emails that we received um, and comments on our social media content too. Um, We put a a video on TikTok uh, following one of the stories from last week's show, asking whether people would be put off dating someone if they were vegan. Now, 
I assume that most of our listeners uh, would not be put off by dating a vegan but obviously the way that tiktok's algorithm works is it it puts your content out to a lot of new people so the assumption was that most of the people coming across that video wouldn't be vegan um and it was um it was mixed actually some people commented saying they wouldn't have a problem dating a vegan so long as beliefs weren't forced upon them that sort of thing um where others gave a very firm no so uh, mixed responses there yeah and remember you can follow us on facebook instagram and tiktok at enough of the falafel and your emails written on any subject you like should come to enough of the falafel at gmail.com indeed indeed keep the conversation going it's not just me and rich talking into the darkness we want to want to hear hear the voices hear people's opinions so uh, keep them all coming in right rich should we move on to this week's discussion topic Yes, so listeners from the UK in particular may have heard this week the speech given by Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, where he went back on a lot of the government's policies and proposals relating to the environment. One of them was a potential meat tax, which he said would not be implemented. Now, as it happened, this proposal was never a policy of the Conservatives or the opposition Labour Party, but he, nonetheless, stated that it would not happen. We've also heard early in the show that this is a topic being discussed by some uh, in the European Parliament too. Yeah, so it's a, it's a sort of timely topic that seems to be, if, if not proposed, but being talked about and, and aired as a possibility. But what we wanted to discuss is whether taxing meat would actually constitute a victory for animals, whether it would actually improve outcomes for them. Um, Rich, do you want to get the ball rolling on this one? What are your initial thoughts on this? Would, would a meat tax improve things for animals? Ah, well, um, I have an interesting, um, well, I had some thoughts about it. Uh, I'm going to say, we'll, we'll be the judge of whether they're interesting or not. <laughs> well, that's true. No, I, I see it as uh, a bit strange. I mean, in the fact that I, I was thinking, why are we taxing something that we're subsidising on the other hand? And that was my very, very first thought. That's I so had a true. Look yesterday at the numbers, and one point five billion pounds yeah. are from the UK budget uh, for livestock farming. So we're saying we're going to tax someone for eating meat, which obviously I'm against. But on the other hand, we are using this tax to give one point five billion pounds for livestock farming i don't see the rationale in that so basically what we're having is we're having this cycle whereby we're saying farmers don't have to lose their jobs they can continue killing animals but if you buy those animals we're going to tax you so it's like perpetuating farmers livelihoods so you're not losing the votes of farmers crucially we're not changing the behavior we're not changing animals being killed but we're going to tell the public you shouldn't really do this. It's not really a good thing to do. And if you do it, we're, we're going to tax you for it. It's like you say, it's it's a bit baffling, really, isn't it? It is. And I want to move out of numbers to have the discussion, you know, about if this would help, if it wouldn't help. But just to give some numbers, if these are accurate, because I went to the budget, the UK budget, £1.1 billion last year uh, was the energy fuel poverty gap. So we're saying that by one, we could, all the the money spent on livestock farming 
would result in the being able to pay for the fuel poverty gap. And also, just just another thing that I found interesting is £1 billion of an, an, an employment benefit. So we're saying we're giving more, people, more money to livestock farming and after even taxing that meat, which I think it's a good thing. We'll go to that. But it seems very strange to me that we're giving all that money as subsidies to yeah, so- the livestock industry and after taxing it. Yeah, yeah. So, so just to confirm, what you're saying there is that, like this, this money that we're giving out to farmers as subsidies could be used for so much better, so much better things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I would like to ask you, Anthony. So, what do you think is the purpose of the meat tax? If if you could define why I, I, did they want to do that? Because they've they've said that this is for environmental purposes, right? Um, yeah if i'm correct yeah it it's interesting because in a way it it seems like a different kind of tax to to what we would see for for normal ones in that i think the argument would be that uh, if you tax alcohol for example the revenue that you raise goes towards supporting people whose lives are adversely affected by alcoholism and, and and things like that um so so in a sense, it's kind of it's helping the victims of of the difficulties. Whereas I don't know that that would be the case here. Certainly, from an animal's point of view, the money that's raised from a meat tax is that being used to sequester carbon and, and set up solar farms and things like that? Would, would would it be done from that, or is it just a way of the government raising money? I mean, the the purpose of taxation, I guess, is to to put people off is it i don't know like it's like that's surely one impact isn't it yes well what i would say okay my my thoughts here first of all i don't think taxing something that's being subsidized is a good idea i don't see the purpose of that Secondly, if this is for the uh, climate neutral, if this is because we want to do it for climate change, I could see some point in having a, a meat tax. But that's what, why don't we have the real price of meat and that's it? I mean, let's stop subsidizing the livestock farm industry. As I said in my previous podcast, I'm not about saving jobs. I'm about helping or saving workers. So it doesn't really matter if we are saving slaughterhouses, I mean, why would we save something that might be made redundant in a few years, hopefully? For me, it's like, let's use this money, let's put the real price of meat, and after, once this has been done, let's tax it. So stop subsidizing it. Stop subsidizing it. And why are you going to put, why don't we start labeling things as they can produce cancer instead of, because what's the purpose of it? Sorry, I'm getting a bit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Your, Your passion is coming through. I mean, all of this that we've been talking about thus far, I don't think it necessarily addresses whether it improves things for animals because we're talking about farmers we're talking about the environment but like that the main question that i'm interested in for as an ethical vegan and indeed the question that we're we're asking for for this discussion is does it actually help animals so i mean like what's your opinion rich like if it were implemented would it help animals it would help animals <clears throat> if the subsidizes stop because if that money 
goes back to the farmer, it just creates a situation where more money is being taxed to the consumer to get the same result. I mean, would that would that really increase the price of meat? Because, but 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 we're assuming we're assuming that the price going up is going to is going to result in fewer people buying it, and I don't know that that's true. I don't know that that's true. I'm not so sure that the price would go down, uh, would go up. Honestly, I don't think the price would. I'm not so sure that the price would go up because it's a, a self-reinforcing loop. I see it. I mean, if farmers have less margins, probably what will happen is they'll get more subsidies. So the price would be the same. I, I see it that way. I might be very wrong. So, yeah. yes, if we really increase the price of meat, if we really increase it, if the tax is big enough to make a difference, yeah. But I, 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 I still don't know if it helps animals, really, because if, if something is still culturally, if it's still culturally accepted as a, as a thing that you do, I mean, that's another question, isn't it? Like, if 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 the government is taxing something, is it sending a message that you shouldn't be doing it? I mean, people still smoke, people still drink. Those things are taxed because of the impact that they have. Um, so it it wouldn't it wouldn't stop people consuming meat, but might it? Because of the message it's sending, like we're taxing this because it's a bad thing to do or it has negative impacts. Would that message reduce people uh, consuming it? I don't know. I think when we see us as um when we see the tobacco industry certainly i think the cigarette consumption in the uk has gone down the tobacco i'm not so sure about vaping you see a lot of people vaping nowadays so i don't know if that's you know we could compare that to tobacco no i'm not so sure about that uh i don't think alcohol has decreased uh, I don't know no. i might be wrong i don't drink alcohol myself so i wouldn't be able to you know Tell you even, if the consumption has, has been reduced. Even if you did drink, I don't think it gives you an automatic insight into uh, how much everyone else is drinking. But I, uh, my, my understanding is that it, though it might have fluctuated and I think people's drinking patterns in terms of where they drink and how often they drink has changed. I don't think there's been a significant change. But this, this is my point. Like that, my, my concern as an ethical vegan is, is what is the outcome for the animal and I, I don't necessarily see that a taxation um, does anything, particularly because the reason for the taxation is not to do with animal welfare. It's not we're going to tax meat and we're going to put all of that money into uh, improving welfare for animals, whatever your view is on welfare. Like we're going to make things slightly less crummy for animals. It's not that. It's, it's going to go into things to support the environment which of course the environment is where animals live so maybe there's a marginal gain but i i don't yeah, see it do, being a will this money go to subsidize low carbon emissions beef you know and say <laughs> yeah, oh we yeah. we are going to be carbon neutral because we're investing in carbon neutral beef that, which will never happen seriously what i think is if the tax is high enough the people think twice about where they get their protein. Or maybe people don't even think about protein. Maybe they just think, I, I like meat and I eat meat. If it's high enough to make a difference, then yes. If that, if, if it doesn't really 
create an obstacle for people to buy it, I don't see the point. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's take that as a as a possibility. Then, are you happy, therefore, that that is how people are consuming fewer animal products? So it's not because of um, ethical reasons. It's not because of concerns for the environment. It's not even because of concerns about health. It's that people are being priced out from this activity. Like, it, does that sit comfortably with you? Uh, it doesn't really matter what I think. It let's ask the pig and the cow. I mean, um, it doesn't really. I mean, I'm not the one suffering. Yeah, in the short term, in the short term. But then, what happens when financially things become more comfortable for for people again? I mean, we we see it in developing countries. One of the first behavioural changes when people get more money is they buy more meat. So, so I, I, yeah. I, I don't think that pricing people out of this activity and this behaviour is going to have any any positive impact in animals in the long term, because that there needs to be some more uh, profound rationale for changing your behaviour other than I can't afford it, but if I could, I'd still do it. Well, there needs to be a multiple approach here. First, what you're saying is true. People, we are creatures of habit, so probably we'll, we would get used to eating the products, which is a good thing. What will happen when the price goes down? Well, maybe we'll go back into that habit, you know. So, yeah, there needs to be a deeper change than just the price. Having said that, the real cost should be the cost we pay. It shouldn't be subsidized. But I think I've said that 10 times, so I'll stop. <laughs> um, no, but but, but if, I can, if I can follow on from what you've said there, Rich, like yeah. that the, there is the subsidies issue, but also studies have been done. There was a study done um, last year. I think it was the University of Chicago, but I could be completely wrong there, so apologies if I am. Um, there was a study showing sort of what meat should cost um, in terms of the environmental effect it has um and it basically the conclusion was it should be between 20 and 60 percent more uh, expensive that this study was arguing based on the actual impact that it has um and so there, there's lots of arguments for this it's not just the fact that animal farmers are being subsidized it's it's the environmental impact that the animal agriculture has it needs to be it needs to cost more, whether that's a cost that gets put on as a tax or whether it's just, well, we all decide that it, it needs to cost more. Um, so that's that's how we do it. it it's not just like a, a punishment behaviour adding a tax. It's, it's realistic, arguably, this study would argue. Yeah. So I think what we've just said, stop subsidies. Second thing, the real cost and that cost not being passed on or that tax not not being passed on to the farmers because it reinforced the loop and by the way i i do not dislike farmers at the contrary i think we need to help them to create an industry which sustains them in a good way i think uh and i don't know if i'm deviating a lot yet yeah, you can tax whatever you want people will still still buy it okay maybe they'll they'll cut on other things and there's the opportunity cost that will will happen also so i'm thinking like what is getting taxed is fish getting taxed is dairy getting taxed are we go does that mean that yeah we're swapping beef for fish because that doesn't help either does it mm. Mm. yeah and 
The other thing I would say is for me, yeah, the tobacco is heavily taxed nowadays, but it also has a label there where it says, listen, this is cancer, uh, can cause cancer. So maybe apart from taxing, if if we're really serious about it as a government, from a government point of view, let's just put a label that says the real carbon footprint that that piece of meat creates. Let's acknowledge that um, this can create cancer if it's red, red meat, as the World Health Organization has said. Let's put all the information so the consumer at the end of the day can do an informed decision and pays the fair price. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, an animal's life doesn't have a fair price because we're treating mm. animals as property. And for me, a life is priceless. But unfortunately, we don't live in the world I want. But at least people should be paying a higher price that involves, you know, no subsidies, the climate impact and uh, the meat tax. So from what you're saying, Anthony, you seem to believe that the meat tax will not have an impact on animals. Uh, am I right in yeah. saying that? Yeah, I, I yeah. think it I think it would have about as much impact on animals as, say, this low carbon beef has for our carbon footprint. It's it's like a right. minimal gain, in, in my opinion. Right. So from this point or from, from what you're saying, what do you think would be realistic things uh, to put in place then? So, yeah, okay, so realistically, if we look at the news this week, um, we've had we've had the low-carbon uh, beef released. We've had the RSPCA saying um, we need to have labelling uh, across all animal products, saying what the welfare has been, not just eggs. Um, we need all animal products to have some sort of labelling saying about the conditions that animals have been kept in. And we're having sort of mootings about meat tax but not not really things being put through I, at the end of the day like what i realistically want to happen is different from what i'd ideally want because ideally i i want people to know the reality of what's happening to animals but politically that's not going to win anyone any points so i i think it is unfortunately these small steps that that take us in the right direction as ethical vegans, we're maybe looking at them going, wow, that's that's no good, that's welfareist or or that's just greenwashing or whatever. But I do think things like labelling, saying this is high welfare beef, this is mid-welfare beef, this is low carbon footprint eggs or, or, or whatever. Like I don't agree with those terms, but I think it's the kind of realistic step that a government might back because consumers want transparency um, and people want to feel like they're doing the right thing I think they're the realistic first steps don't get me wrong like I'd rather meat costs more than it costs less like that's that's obviously a deterrent but in terms of it making a difference to animals I I don't know it's 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 a bit patronising to say if I was the animal in the slaughterhouse this is what I'd want because I'm not I'm privileged I don't I don't have to make the decision, but I just kind of feel like having people thinking about these things a bit more and, and having conversations and decisions that are based on ethical and moral things is better than there just being a, a financial barrier because I, I just think that's only a problem 
when you've not got enough money. And realistically speaking, food doesn't cost that much compared with the cost of your house, compared with other things that you're spending money on each week. Like people's food spending is is generally lower than other outgoings as a proportion. So I I, I think if someone if someone wants to buy animal products they'll still do that, really. I've, I've waffled on quite a bit there, Rich. Don't, I don't know if don't anything worry, I've don't said... Don't worry, Anthony. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> I think just looking at how long the episode is already, uh, we'll need to wrap things up <laughs> in a moment. But before we do, and I know you've just spoken. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically, Anthony's had too long talking. We need to bring the episode to a close. That's why I'm here. Kind of. This has been the discussion. If you want to listen to Anthony to say, please do so. <laughs> no, no, on, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's getting a bit long the episode. So before we do so, and I know you've already lined uh, this closed up, lined up your thoughts, but any final thoughts? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> to summarize what I've just said, I think there's there's a difference between like pragmatic steps that we can take and practical steps we can take versus like as ethical vegans there's not that many of us so we need to be the ones who as well as thinking practically we need to be the ones thinking in an ethical vegan way like because if we don't no one's going to so yeah great practical step meat tax fine have it no problem um labeling that says this is high welfare beef not ideal but at least it's making people think about welfare those those practical steps that are little stepping stones are fine but i think like we need to fly the flag for for being ethical vegans and thinking in that way and the meat tax does not say that eating meat is unacceptable so like we need to be the ones that are still saying that because if we don't say it no one will that that would be how i'd I'd um I'd summarize my thoughts Rich like what are there any final thoughts you wanted to have on this Yes first of all am I up for the meat tax the short answer is yes the long answer is only if other subsidies are stopped because if not it doesn't really help I feel like it's a self-reinforcing loop and it doesn't really get to where we want to be because on one hand you're saying yeah let's less tax meat because of the the climate change or the carbon you know footprint on the other hand all this taxpayer money goes to subsidize that industry can you imagine if now the the, the government said we're going to spend to 1.5 billion in tobacco subsidizing we'll all go crazy anyway that's one thing the other thing i would say is i i disagree with what you're saying about uh, welfare and uh you i'll give you if you want to say something you can no 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 no, it's fine it's fine uh my view on this is unfortunately i don't think most people really make purchases thinking about the welfare of the animals they do it based on price the little percentage of people that do care about how the animals are raised uh, unfortunately, under my point of view, will buy what's called high welfare animals just for peace of mind. And I don't think that's the good way to go because 
it's still having a carbon footprint and the animals are still slaughtered. So what I would do, realistic steps that I think we can take is, yes, bring in the meat tax, stop subsidizing, uh, which I know it's very difficult. But, and I think the labels should include, instead of saying high or low welfare or all this, should include the real carbon footprint that that has. Say in terms of, I don't know, does it have three kilos and maybe you will be able to compare it to a packet of beans saying, oh, it's just 100 grams, the carbon footprint. That will be the real comparison. Let's not label it as low, high uh, carbon footprint. Let's put real numbers there. And yeah. <laughs> the other thing is maybe we could, that's going down to the health route, but maybe saying this um, this product is considered a class A carcinogenic, class B may cause cancer, that may think people more than welfare. So those are my thoughts. you got three final thoughts in there, Richard. I'm going to take issue with that. Next week I get three final thoughts. That's That only seems fair. But <laughs> I will say I did I did enjoy the way that you emphatically slammed your hand down on your desk when you, you said about, let's let's put the real numbers on the products. That was good. I enjoy your passion. Let's, uh, let's leave things there with our, that passionate crescendo. So a question to our lovely listeners. What do you think? Would a meat tax make any difference to animals? Can you see it being brought in at any point in the future? Or, or was it just a straw man that, that Rishi Sunak wanted to burn um, to make his U-turn speech a bit more palatable this week? Um, remember, this podcast is not just me and Richard giving our opinions. We want to be a collective. We want to be a community. And we'd absolutely love to hear your voices. So enough of the falafel at gmail.com is the place to send your thoughts, questions, comments and concerns regarding this discussion or, or any of the news stories that we've covered in this week's episode. Thanks, Anthony, and uh, thanks very much to all of our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you saw the analytics this week, Rich, but we've had listeners in Belgium and the USA. That's pr- pretty awesome. I don't, don't know how a, a a Belgian heard about our podcast or whether they could understand what we were saying but um, maybe we need to do a, a Flemish translation next week yeah it could be a VPN you never know a what? a VPN what's that? Uh, gosh what does it mean a virtual point of internet or something like it where uh... you you a virtual VPN I think so it means that you can be in the UK but the computer or analytics thinks you're in Australia Oh gosh, have have we exposed someone who's actually trying to hide that hide that? Oh gosh. Well, anyway, um, we're at the end of the show, as you might be able to tell by uh, just the general conversation unraveling. Um, but that that means we do still have one thing left to do, Richard. The, it is time for the vegan news crystal ball. We are normally looking back with our news on the previous week, but now we are going to look forward to next week. So last week, Rich, you said heck. Um, are going to bring out a new vegan range. Um, you weren't correct. Um, the, the last time vegan, uh, uh, the last time Heck brought out a vegan product was in September 2020, so three years ago. Okay. Interestingly, my prediction was that a celebrity would get arrested for being part of an animal rights protest. Now, when I googled this, the most recent example was in 2019. Uh, James Cromwell was arrested which technically means that you were closer, but I'm, I'm sure 
I'm sure that there have been celebrities arrested this year as part of vegan protests. So I think I win that one. Are you happy to concede? Let's go for it. Come on. Yeah. yeah okay. I know you want to win. <laughs> even, even though my research failed to find a better example. But anyway, let's let's think about next week. You go first, Rich. What is your prediction for next week's vegan news? My prediction is that we'll get some sort of study explaining that um, why the dairy industry can have less emissions. Oh, okay. The dairy industry with less emissions. Okay, fine. Um, And I will go for... I'm going to go for an alternative um, leather product. We've had like pineapple leather, apple leather, tomato leather. I'm going to say that uh, cabbage leather. There's going to be a new type of um, alternative leather come out um, made with cabbage protein and fibres. Do you have any insider information? Uh, that would be telling. We'll just have to see. <laughs> anyway, that's enough of the falafel from us this week. I've been Richard, he's been Anthony and this has been episode two of Vegan Week. Vegan Week.